0: Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of the Visitor's Bullpen. I'm Matt Wyark alongside my co-host Kevin Haswell. Kevin, how are you doing today?
1: Doing great, excited for another episode here on Visitor's Bullpen. We have a special guest this week, good friend Justin Copeland, huge Cardinals fan. Uh, excited to have another guest on our show to hear his opinion.
2: Oh, thanks for having me.
0: Alright, well we'll dive right into it. And The biggest storyline this week is the obviously the All-Star game coming up. And with every all-star roster, there's always going to be snubs. So on both sides of the diamond, there's going to be some players that should have been there that aren't. Kevin, what's your biggest pick for the biggest all-star sub uh, so far this season?
1: I just don't see how they didn't put Robinson Cano on the roster or on the final vote. Uh, He's leading second baseman in in home runs and RBIs, tied with Daniel Murphy with 60 RBIs and tied with Jonathan Scope with 17 home runs. Uh, He's having a terrific year once again. Living up to the ten-year, two hundred and forty million dollar contract that he signed back in twenty fourteen, uh, I just I don't know how you leave him off year in and year out. He's one of the best second baseman second baseman in the game of baseball. He's helped the Mariners to contend for a playoff spot. They're only three games out in the AL wild card. Uh, I know there's a lot of great second basemen in the American League, but Cano biggest snub in my books.
0: Yeah, it seems like in at least at second base, I mean, obviously Altuve won that fan vote, which is, I mean, fairly obvious. He's an MVP candidate almost every year now and hitting 330, already over 100 hits, absolutely no question as to he deserves it. But then if you have guys like Jonathan Scope and Starlin Castro in there, it seems like that the uh, players and commissioner's office lean towards batting average as a big qualifier. Cano's hitting 276, which isn't bad, but... Both Castro, Castro's hitting 313, Scope 296, so clearly that was something that was valued there. I mean, Castro's OPS Plus is 117, which is right around Cano at 120, so you can call them comparable players, and New York might be more marketable, so that could be a big reason why. But, Justin, who are you thinking is the biggest snub?
2: Uh, For my biggest snub, I have Travis Shaw. Travis Shaw has been in the middle of the Brewers lineup, first place Brewers, and... I mean, they have no All-Stars except for their closer, Kniebel. So that's just hard to believe for me that you can be a first-place team and only have one All-Star being your closer. Travis Shaw has been in the middle of the lineup with Ryan Braun being injured and has provided 18 home runs and 61 RBIs for him with a 928 OPS. And just, like, have guys on there like DJ LeMayhew, like, I just don't understand how you could leave a guy like Travis Shaw off the team not only that, he's not even in the final vote ballot, so I don't know what they were thinking there.
0: Yeah, that NL third base is pretty deep, and it is surprising with the Brewers in first place uh, only having one all-star, although the NL Central is pretty weak right now with how way everyone's been playing. So I understand why, but I think also just third base was undervalued altogether, because my biggest snub is Anthony Rendon, who, as a Nationals fan, someone I get to see play day in, day out, and he's one of the best pure hitters in baseball. He leads all NL third basemen in OPS. He's been a great defensive third baseman, has eight defensive runs saved. He's has the purest swing. He actually has more uh, walks than strikeouts, which only four players in baseball have right now. That's absolutely absurd. So, I mean, to look at a guy like DJ LeMahieu make the all-star team, he made it because of the players vote, which for one, you would think the players would be able to evaluate talent as well as the fans. But in, I do, I'm not, I'm against the fan vote altogether for all-star games, but I think they actually did a pretty good job this year of picking the rosters, at least the starters. Um, Nolan Arenado was absolutely deserving. I think he and, uh... Rendon are the two most deserving third basemen, but for LeMahieu to make it, that gives them them three second basemen in the NL and only two third basemen, which I think is absolutely ridiculous because third base is such a deep position, probably the deepest position in all of baseball. So for them to only select two third basemen, which it looks like Justin Turner is going to be the one winning the final vote he's led in the last two updates on that uh, National League side. So that will add that third third baseman. But at the same time, with guys like Chris Bryant, uh, Turner, Jake Lamb, there's Rendon, there's so many options that I just think it's inexcusable for them to go with that many second basemen and only two third basemen.
1: Yeah, the third base position in baseball and the deepest in baseball are – deepest in the game. Uh, I'm looking at uh, Travis Shaw's stats right now, 18 home runs, 61 RBIs. Justin, I I completely agree with you that I don't know how this man doesn't make the All-Star game, especially with with the Brewers being in first place. I know it's a weak division, but the Brewers have been terrific. And if you look at their lineup, up and down the lineup, they've been hitting for power. Thames, even with the low batting average, still has 23 home runs, hit two the other day. Um, And I don't know. I understand you have to have one from each team, and that kind of limits how many players you get for each first place team. But the Brewers are, for, regardless of how weak the division are, is they're the first place team. They deserve more than one All Star, and Travis Shaw is definitely deserving of another of a spot on the NL All Star team.
0: Absolutely, and no matter which side, AL or NL, you're going to have good third basemen all over the place. But one third baseman who hasn't been playing up to his potential this year is Manny Machado. He's been a perennial MVP candidate, finished top five multiple times in his career. He's only 25. He actually turns 26 tomorrow, which is going to be today for everyone listening the day this comes out. July 6th, he turns. uh, Happy birthday, Manny Machado. So, Justin, we'll start with you. What's been going on with him, and do you think he's going to be able to turn it around this season?
2: If you look at the numbers, like he's been very consistent f- over the f- last three, four years, um hitting a lot of doubles pretty pretty decent average and i I couldn't tell you what his problem is this year, like I don't know if it's a mental thing if he thinks he he's like playing for a huge contract, so he's playing out of his shoes and just is messing up, but at least he still has his defense, you know I mean there's something there. That's true,
0: and he's pretty young, so he definitely has that opportunity to turn things around. I mean, you look at guys like Bryce Harper, had a down year, has come back this year. Carlos Correa had a down year, look at him now. So I see absolutely no reason why he couldn't turn things around right now. What about you, Kevin?
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting because you look at his numbers over his career, and over, over the last two seasons, 861 OPS, 876 OPS, and then 705 this year, his slugging percentage way down as well. Um, the average. I don't understand. I mean, he is striking out a little bit more than usual at 70 strikeouts through 341 plate appearances compared to 120 and 696 last year. But the power is clearly still there. He has 16 home runs, probably on pace to hit from 30 to 35 home runs, which is which is still great. But and he's a huge reason why the Orioles are underperforming again this year. They're not again this year, but you know the the powers there but they they really need him to turn around that lineup has been underperforming all year and that's what's going to carry them their rotation has been awful and you know if machado doesn't turn around the orioles have no shot at making the playoffs so it'll be interesting to watch the rest of the way.
0: yeah they're definitely going to need that mvp candidate to be an mvp candidate in the middle of the lineup and it's funny his hard hit percentage Looking at Fangraphs numbers, hard hit percentage is actually a career high, thirty-eight point six percent. But you look at some other numbers: his line drive percentage is down to a career low thirteen percent, and he's hitting a lot of infield fly balls, like pop-ups and stuff. So he's making heavy contact. He's just not getting the barrel on the ball as much. So that tells me that he's just not seeing it as well. You know, even though his walk rate is up, he's he's taking the right pitches, but there's probably something mechanical going on in the swing. That's why his strikeouts are up a little bit. That's why he's undercutting the ball consistently, not able to get those line drives. He's still pulling or hitting the ball opposite field at a reasonable clip around his career average. So I wouldn't say that this is something that Orioles fans should necessarily be afraid of, but I would say that over the course of this season, it's possible that he finishes with that low batting average and isn't able to turn things around. But career-wise, I have absolutely no worry for him. He's been a highly-touted prospect his entire career. He's easily one of the top five players in the game when he's best at his best. So personally, I'm not worried about Machado long-term. This year, though, the Orioles might be in a little bit of trouble.
1: Yeah, if you we were talking about earlier, but his defense has carried him through his career as well. I mean, he's been one of the best defensive third basemen in the game, has the ability to play shortstop. When you really dig into the numbers this year, he's having one of his worst defensive years. His defensive war is 0.6. Uh last year comparatively it was 2.2. His career high in 2013 was four point three. Uh lowest mark of his career. So not only struggling at the plate, but struggling in the field, and it's it's definitely a show with the Orioles record so far. Yes, sir, yes, sir. If you guys
0: can't catch a theme, we're sticking around third base, but this is a third baseman who has never played third base before, and that's Freddie Freeman. He's making the switch over from first to third after coming off the disabled list for the Braves. Now, Matt Adams has been hitting that in first base and hitting pretty well. Third base has been their weakest position all year, so. Braves management decided, hey, let's throw Freeman into a couple minor league games, get his feet wet over at the hot corner, which he only had one chance in the field. So he really is going to have to figure it out at the major league level. But he's a career average defender, maybe slightly above average, but he's had a few bad years. Uh, Kevin, we'll go to you first. Do you think he's going to be able to handle that role?
1: Yeah, I think I think he's I mean he's one of the best hitters in all of baseball and all he has to do is play a decent third base and they can keep him over there. If you look at their third baseman that they've played this year, I mean Adonis Garcia has been awful. They've had high hopes for him for the last couple of years, hitting two forty seven in only thirty eight games with only four home runs and sixteen RBIs. He's one of those guys that they were hoping that was gonna come through, didn't, and then you know, when when one of the best trades of their season is when Freeman went down, they trade for Matt Adams. The dude has hit the ball great since they, they traded for him back in April or May, and now he's for they forced Freeman to move over to third base because they need Adams to, to be in the lineup, and they, they can't play him anywhere but first base due to his size and how slow he is. I know he's trying to become an outfielder. He's lost some weight, but I think it's a great move for, for the Braves as long as he can play about an average defender because his bat will carry them and it makes their lineup much more dynamic with him at third base compared to first base because now they can put Adams in the middle of the lineup as well with Freeman.
2: Um, Yeah you know I just don't think it really matters how well Freeman plays third base or not. I mean you got you need you need to score runs to win and I think that Matt Adams's offense outweighs maybe how poorly Freddie Freeman will play third base or maybe he'll play a great third base we don't know yet it'll take only time will tell. You know uh, the way I look at it is the
0: Braves are competing this year, even with how top heavy the National League is. There's probably a wild card slot they could they could uh, go for, but the Braves have got to be looking big picture. They're in the first year of their new ballpark, and they're trying to put together a team that's going to compete and make things interesting and bring fans in. Yes, I get that from a business standpoint, but in terms of long term team management. Throwing a guy into a new position can derail a career. Freddie Freeman has shown this year that he deserves to be talked among the best hitters in baseball. I mean, it was no question that he was going to be an all-star before he went down. He was even in the MVP conversation along with guys like Ryan Zimmerman and Bryce Harper right at the beginning. But, you know, putting him in this new position, having him have to learn it on the fly, it just doesn't seem like he's going to be able to concentrate on his hitting as much. He's going to be more worried about being in the field, and I can see that being... Uh, confidence derailment. If things start to go wrong, things happen wrong in the field that could translate to the plate, and then he starts to struggle, and then he might not think it's because of his play in the field, and he'll make adjustments he doesn't need to make, and it hurts him down the line. So, yes, okay, the Braves are going to win more games with Freddie Freeman at first base with at third base. Sorry, but I don't think that's the right decision right now in terms of where the team is at. You've got. Dansby Swanson, a rookie. You have so many young arms coming up in the minor leagues. You have to be looking towards the future. And for them to take Matt Adams, who, by the way, has one year left on his deal after this year. So he is a good trade candidate. So it does make sense that they want to give him more playing time because this is someone you can ship at the deadline. I'm not knocking that at all. But I'm saying in terms of Freddie Freeman's development into one of the best hitters of baseball, you want to be careful with a guy like that. He's your franchise cornerstone. There's a reason when they had that fire sale, he was the one guy they, they kept on to. So I don't really like the idea of putting his career in jeopardy like that. Obviously, some people are going to say this is an overreaction. But I mean, there are plenty of guys who flamed out at 26, 27 years old, and Freeman could be one of them if things don't break his way. So... While I trust that he that the Braves are going to win more games doing this, I don't think that it's the best plan for long term
1: yeah, I mean it it's a move to win more ball games, but I don't think error him making errors at third base is really going to affect him at the plate. I mean, with how good of a hitter he is i I don't think the Braves are looking at Freddie Freeman saying, "Hey, we really need you to play a great third base because really that's not the case. They're only shifting him over there to improve the lineup and win more games and they know he's obviously not going to be that great of a defender but they couldn't have gone wrong by moving him over cuz Adonis Garcia has been a negative war defender um in his career so really Freeman can play as bad defense as he, as he needs to i don't i don't think or as he ends up playing bad defense i don't i don't think it matters and i don't think the braves care i think they just want to win more games and i don't think his his lack of defensive ability at third base is going to outweigh his hitting ability with uh, him in the lineup and with Matt Adams over Adonis Garcia in the lineup. So I I actually think it's a great move for the Braves. I don't think it will derail his career. I'm one of those people that probably thinks that was an outrageous take right there, but that's just me. So,
0: well, the thing is, though, do the Braves really want to win more games right now? They're not going to make the playoffs. And even if they do squeak out a wild card, which is still a distant thought right now, they're way out of the picture. Even if they do manage to get a wild card spot, they're not going anywhere. You look at how top heavy the National League is with the Nationals, the Dodgers, the Diamondbacks, the Rockies. They're not getting past them to the World Series. There's not a shot. So, like, might as well go for a higher draft pick. I'm all pro tanking if you're not going to make the playoffs. And. Sell, 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 and put the guys that you want to uh, see develop into the positions that they're the most comfortable in. In terms of a rebuilding team like the Braves are, that's honestly the best move they can make.
1: Yeah, I can understand where you're coming from considering you're a Nationals fan. You want the rest of the division to tank, especially the Braves. And, you know, I...
0: I know they aren't going to compete anyway. I know you're on
1: the Mets or the Mets bandwagon for them to tank as well because they're not playing well and why not ship out guys so the Nationals can just take that division. But, at the end of the day... They're a dumpster fire. What, what makes money for an organization is winning games. And, with the new ballpark, they don't want to risk, you know, tanking for three seasons with a brand new ballpark, ruining attendance, kind of like the Marlins did when they opened up their new ballpark. There's other issues there, I know, but they don't want to risk it and they're trying to win games. I mean, if you look in the offseason they signed RA Dickey, Bartolo Colon not working out a double digit ERA, but they're signing these older veterans trying to compete and it's it's somewhat working. I mean, they're sitting right around 500 maybe a little bit below, but the the move to Freddie Freeman over could could make them a 70 78 to 81 team. So, who knows. Let's see.
0: Yep, it's definitely an interesting debate. We'll see how it pans out for the Braves in the win column, but certainly down the line, hopefully it doesn't hinder Freeman's development. Now, the biggest topic that seems like every national outlet is talking about right now is just who is the best pitcher in baseball. Of course, a lot of people are going to listen to that and say, wait a minute, it's Clayton Kershaw. Of course, it's been Clayton Kershaw for the past six, seven years now, and there hasn't even been a debate. It's as if you were saying Mike Trout wasn't the best position player in baseball. Just absolutely not a competition. However, with Kershaw's injury trouble last year and his home run problem this year, there's been a little bit of room for debate. Max Scherzer, who won the Cy Young last year and is leading the league with a sub-2 ERA right now, has pushed the envelope and made a case to be considered the best pitcher in baseball. So, Justin, what's your take on the matter?
2: Uh, Kershaw, I think Kershaw is still the best pitcher. If you look at... Kershaw's numbers this season. Uh, he has a war of 3.9, which is lower than Scherzer. But if you look at the teams that Scherzer has started against, only he has only made two starts against teams with a winning record. Meanwhile, Kershaw has made nine starts against teams with winning records, two of those being in Colorado. So if his ERA is 219, Scherzer's is one nine four. Maybe if you get Kershaw and Scherzer's schedule, the numbers are a little different for Kershaw this season.
1: Uh, I don't think it's a a conversation to be had. I mean, Kershaw is by far the best pitcher in baseball. If you look at stats back to from 2015 through this year, Kershaw over the last three seasons has an ERA under two of 1.96, uh, slightly less innings than Scherzer, uh, slightly less strikeouts, but the WHIP a whole point one better than. Than Scherzer as well. And Kershaw just goes out there and wins games. Uh, He's pitching in one of the, arguably the best division in baseball this year, uh, to go along with what Justin said. I mean, he's pitching against great, hitting lineups, pitching in Colorado, whereas Scherzer's pitching in one of the worst divisions in baseball. And I mean, it's showing with with Scherzer's numbers being a little bit better this year. But I don't, I think Scherzer evens out, goes back to like a 2-5 ERA, and Kershaw ends up below two. So They'll both regress to their main. Well, Kershaw will will get better, but I I don't think it's a conversation. Kershaw's the best pitcher in baseball. You
0: no, know, Kershaw's been the best pitcher in baseball, and that's not something anyone can argue. I will definitely not push it on that. But in terms of the past two years, Scherzer's really developed into the elite category and the elite of the elite so I at least puts him on par with Kershaw I mean Kershaw didn't win a Cy Young he struggled to stay on the field last year he had to get back surgery in order to be the considered the best you got to be pitching and you know how far back do you look and say this guy's the best player I mean how relevant are stats from five years ago in terms of right now as to who's the better pitcher and you look at this season right okay Scherzer might have had an easier schedule, but he didn't pick that schedule. He's just pitching against the guys he's scheduled to pitch against. So he's working with the competition that he has, and he's absolutely dominating. He's on pace to set the major league record for batting average against, and that's no small feat. He still is facing a ton of all-stars, guys that will be Hall of Famers down the line. So he's still limiting those guys from getting on base. He's, He's cut the homer problem that he had last year. He even won Cy Young without that homer problem with that homer problem, excuse me. He's 10th in MVP uh, MVP vote last year. You gotta think he's up there in the top five, maybe even top three right now in terms of the MVP, MVP talks. So if I'm looking at a game and I need a game seven of the World Series, I need someone to go out there and give me eight innings, I'm go- I'm throwing Scherzer out there. One, he's durable. He puts so much emphasis on... On running between starts, and that builds up endurance. And he's just a guy who his fastball velocity goes up throughout the game. That's not something you see out of most pitchers. So when he gets in that zone, he's stalking around the mound, there's just absolutely nothing like it. And every time you watch one of his starts, you're expecting something great. So Kershaw, yes, Hall of, surefire Hall of Famer, no doubt has been the best pitcher in baseball, but right now, you need eight strong innings from a pitcher. Go with Max Scherzer.
1: Between these two pitchers, you're not going to either of them in game seven of the playoff game. You're going to Madison Bumgarner. Dude is literally the best playoff pitcher there is, and he can hit at the plate. Uh, I would I would take Kershaw over Scherzer in a in a game seven. I mean, if you watched him pitch last year, he he single handedly took the Nationals out of the NLDS. So I I don't I I don't I don't see how you, you would have Scherzer over him. I mean Scherzer's a great pitcher, don't get me wrong. Probably one of the best or the best strikeout pitchers in all of baseball, but Kershaw just doesn't give up runs. The, the guy wins games, plays tough teams, and like you, you you alluded to the fact that, you know, Scherzer's out here facing all these all-stars and all this stuff. Kershaw is do, is doing the same thing and facing more all-stars. I mean, if you look at the Rockies Rockies lineup, they've been insane this year. They're just scoring runs like nothing else, and then you look at the Diamondbacks lineup. They're, I mean, both of those lineups are better than... Than any lineup you're going to get in the NL East. I mean, you have the Mets, one of the worst hitting teams in Major League Baseball. You have the Phillies, god awful. Love them though. Then you go down to the Braves. Braves, you know they're hitting the ball decently, but and then you, and then you go. I mean, there, there's just nothing there. And and Kershaw is facing all these great lineups. I I don't know. When it when it comes down to it, we'll find out in this year's playoffs who's better pitcher in the playoffs. But I I don't see. How you could take Scherzer in the playoffs when you have either Madison Bumgarner or Kershaw?
0: Well, Scherzer did face the Diamondbacks one earned run in seven innings, eleven strikeouts. So takes that out of there. Did face the Dodgers, pretty good lineup there. That zero earned runs in seven innings. So he is facing these guys. He's faced the Cubs. He's faced the Rangers. He's faced the Orioles. He's faced the Cardinals. So these are good lineups. They're they're yes. He's facing a lot of the NLEs. He's faced the Phillies. He's faced the Mets. He's faced Mets again. He's faced the Mets three times. So, but the, I mean that's that's sure that's a good point. And yes, he is facing lower competition. But like I said, it's not his fault. He's he's facing. He just went off against Carlos Martinez, facing another ace, and comes out of it with the win. I mean that's no small feat, and that's how he got his ERA under two. He went seven innings, no, no earned runs, twelve strikeouts. So he he's going against tough competition, and Kershaw is too. But Scherzer's giving up less runs. So you can make all the cases you want that Kershaw hasn't had the luck of the draw, but that's baseball. You're going to face some guys are going to face lesser teams, some guys are going to ta- face better teams. But in the end, it's the numbers that are going to tell the real tale. And so far, the numbers have said that. Scherzer's the MVP candidate, Scherzer's a Cy Young candidate, and Kershaw's on the outside looking in.
2: All right, so let me ask you this. What do you think about Chris Sale? Chris Sale in the American League, got to face the DH. Do you think if he was in the National League, he would be posting very similar numbers to a Kershaw or Scherzer? Absolutely,
0: and I've been arguing for years that Chris Sale is the second best left-hander behind Kershaw easily. And people kind of scoff at that because I mean he was playing for the White Sox. He, he's getting so much more attention now that he's out of the White Sox organization. You know, Boston has that spotlight no doubt and he he's finally being considered one of the best pitchers in baseball, which he already was, but really in that top tier. Some people have made the case that he's just as good as Kershaw right now. And I mean, you're right. He faces the DH. And if you were in the National League, I mean, you saw it with with Scherzer when he came over. I mean, he was already dominant in the American League when a Cy Young over there, but there was a seamless transition to the NL. And you see the results now that he's really settled into that, to the senior circuit. So Sale, I absolutely love what I've been seeing out of him in the past few years. He's got a filthy repertoire. And if he were in the NL, we could be having this conversation because his numbers would probably be better. But you know, even if you pitch in the American League, you've still got to own up to your numbers, and his numbers are up there. I mean, definitely the strikeouts for sure, but as of right now, over the past two years, he had an up-and-down season last year. Remember the first half of the season, he had a really fast start. Was I think he was 8-0 or something before he even picked up his first loss, and then kind of had an up-and-down second half. Part of it was probably his relationship with the White Sox organization, which I can't blame him for, the whole cutting up the jerseys and everything. That was a whole fiasco in itself. But now that he's really settled into Boston, he's, he's shown his true potential. And he, I love watching him every fifth day. He, he's a great pitcher and just so much fun to cheer for.
1: Yeah, it's interesting when you really dig into Chris Sale's numbers because, I mean, in the American League East, I mean, this year, the Yankees have one of the best lineups in baseball and the Orioles are a good hitting team the Rays are hitting, the Rays are hitting the ball well with Logan Morrison and other guys you know so sales going up against all these great lineups just like Kershaw is in the National League and he's putting up terrific numbers the, the 2.61 ERA 120 innings 166 strikeouts in 120 innings it's just unreal and he's doing that without facing a pitcher every day i mean you put him in the National League and it's just scary i don't know it it was interesting this off season when they talked about the Dodgers, maybe acquiring Chris sale before the Red Sox did. If they had Chris sale and Clayton Kershaw, that'd probably be the best rotation I've ever seen. Um, Kershaw definitely, or I mean, sale definitely a top five pitcher in baseball pe- being penalized a little bit for being in the American league. Um, but yeah, I think he's very comparable to Clayton Kershaw if he was in the national league with, with him.
0: All right. Well, I think that wraps us up for today. Uh, Thank you all for joining us. As we always say, I'm Matt Wyrick at Matt Talk Sports on Twitter, joined by Kevin Haswell at Kevin R. Haswell. And our guest, thank you for coming on, Justin. That's J. Cope underscore 23 Guys, thanks for coming on today.
2: Hey, yeah, thank you so much. Thanks, guys.
0: All right, have a good one, everyone.